Okay, welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the Lauded Five Things podcast, brought to you by Grey Group and Social Media Week. Uh, Roundtable discussion of all things social, digital, innovation, um, and as always, some terrible dad jokes. We'll throw some of them in too. Um, let's cover off who we've got on this week's uh, episode. We're uh, happy to have in the studio Dan Gardner, who's the co-founder and CEO of a brilliant agency called Code and Theory, digital-first creative agency in New York and a few other cities. Where, where else are you now, bud? Uh, we got London, San Francisco, Atlanta, L.A., and the Philippines. Good. <laughs> yeah. cool. And the so Philippines covered off that's Exactly. Set. Just, yeah. Just because. Yeah, nice. why not? Um, thanks for being they here, mate. They have nice beaches. They, they do. Yeah. Right, good. Uh, and then also joining us today from Gray is uh, Kirsten Schubert, who's our director of PR. It's true. Good. It's me. Thanks for coming in. Did I say your last name right? Um, you did say my last name Schubert. right. First name is Kirsten, Kirsten. But you were very close. I have messed that up all morning. You know morning, what? It's, it's, it's funny. not an easy name. As a fellow Brit, Kirsten versus Kirsten is a little bit tricky Kirsten. for the Brits. For the I don't Brits. think I know another it Kirsten. Is. Yeah, we always it struggle is. with that. There one. we go. I think you were just focused on the last name. Yeah. I actually was. Yeah. I was. I've got the first one down. Get that one wrong. Anyway, Toby Daniels, hey, founder and CEO of Social Media Week. Thanks uh, for having me. always. Right. So. What are we going to cover this week? Uh, let's run through it quickly in uh, in order. Uh, firstly, uh, I'm actually going to take a couple of topics today because the uh, illustrious Kenny Gold isn't here with us this week. So I'm going to talk about Snapchat adding ground AR effects. I'm excited about that. Uh, number two, there's a TikTok one today, and of course Toby's going to take that. So TikTok wanting to grow up. Uh, number three is Kirsten. You got it. Is, yeah, you nailed it. It's going to take the mobile moldy whopper that took over social media uh and then uh, we're going to talk about snapchat launching here for you and dan's going to speak about that and then i'm going to round us out with shopify uh coming in and supporting the libra cryptocurrency right so it's a good list today uh we're going to get started with me and uh snapchat launching uh ground ar effects so so what what is it uh i don't really know but uh, let's jump into it quickly. Snapchat's launching uh, a new, uh, what it's calling, ground transformation AR effect, which, as it uh, clearly sounds in its title, uh, can change the ground on your Snapchat camera view into water or lava or other variations. Um, so sounds like something my kids might be into. Uh, it doesn't sound like a particularly revolutionary uh, element of progression for the platform. From a technical point of view, is that a big deal, being able to, being able to change? I don't think it is. I, you know, I mean, it's, a, I guess, a step forward from a technology standpoint. I don't know how much of a big deal it is. They're saying it's a step forward from, a, from a, um, expanding beyond what you can do on the platform right now, beyond virtual masks and games, and it moves them into a sort of whole new realm, potentially for promotion through the app. Well, one of the reasons why we cover like Snapchat's latest like AR new feature slash tool is because they're releasing new features and tools all of the time because it seems to me Snapchat really does want to position themselves as a leader kind of in the augmented reality space. Um, so it's 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 interesting, I think, because it's new. I think it's interesting because it offers up users an ability to do something that kind of feels fresh and different. Um, you know, how long these kind of features like really sort of stick around or, 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 or whether they really embed themselves into kind of the ways in which people are kind of creating content obviously is yet to be seen. But uh, it feels like it feels like it's it's a it's an initial step into an opportunity for them to start to work more in a branded world when it comes to 
retail in-store, recognizing visual objects at a ground level, probably being able to allowing them to tie into that type of experience potentially so on the surface it feels quite and this might be the case with quite a lot of what snap does on the surface it feels quite quite fun and throwaway and almost childish in some sense but as a representation of what they might be leaning into and i'm just thinking about it with a brand hat on uh maybe there's something sexy in that i was going to say even more so than that to the point about how they're really leaders in ar and ar is is the best digital connection from you know physical world to digital world, and connected retail is a good example of that. I could imagine one day that Snapchat's AR is the equivalent to Amazon's AWS. It's a platform that can power yeah. well beyond the platform. Right. It's a technology play. And this is maybe, and I, I don't know if this is what they're trying to do, but maybe in a step in that direction where obviously it's just fun now, but as you said, Toby, it could be something more from a business perspective. Yeah, I think that's a super, interesting insight we'll see how that plays out we've talked a little bit about like snapchat in terms of how they're positioning themselves within the entertainment space um i can see an opportunity here for um the big film studios to be kind of partnering with snap to be able to bring in some of these like cgi special effects into the kind of ai ar tools so that users can actually then start to kind of like integrate you know, well-known and and extremely popular kind of CGI effects like into their own like, um, you know, Snapchat content. So that could be like an interesting part of it as well. So we'll see. We will, yeah. Um, what's the, what are we doing number two? We've reordered our list today. I'll take it. It's number TikTok. two's Tobe. Oh, oh, it's our TikTok segment. <clears throat> can, we, can we get an update on Yep. On your channel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, How's Doobie uh, Dance doing? Do Doobie Dance is doing well. So for the listeners that are new to the show and also to our esteemed guests, um, in addition to being the founder of Social Media Week, I'm also a uh, TikTok influencer. Um, I think uh, last time I, I talked about this, I had nine followers. This week I have 17. Oh, that's um, quite so the influence. Yeah, that's it's, substantial. It's, it's, pretty, <laughs> it's pretty significant. But look, look, it's not about quantity. It's about the quality of, of my audience. But, How's the um, quality? Yeah. So do, do Dan at Doobie Dance, um, I mash up <laughs> do, the Doobie Brothers with, with funny uh, dance videos, so check it out. Um, and obviously, as the resident TikTok expert, I'm here to talk about something that is new and in the news, which is that TikTok wants to grow. According to the Wall Street Journal, I should say, TikTok wants to grow up. But it's finding it tough to keep kids out of the video sharing app uh, and is trying to appeal to more adults. So what's going on? Um, so, according to the Wall Street Journal article, uh, TikTok has an unusual problem, which is that the video sharing app is, is too popular among young kids. Um, I'm not really sure what that actually means at the end of the day, but, but the specifics of um, what they're sort of talking about or referencing is that um, it's just too easy for um, young kids under the age of 13 to be able to get onto the platform and to create accounts and to both create and consume content. And obviously this is a, um, a problem not just for TikTok, but for a lot of the um, other platforms as well. So as we know, TikTok is owned by uh, the Chinese conglomerate ByteDance, um, and they've been working to broaden its appeal to adults, which they believe is critical to their growth and to their survival. Um, and they've also been trying to boot younger children off the app. Um, specifically, what they've been doing is they've been sort of requiring people to take down content, or they've been taking down content um, that they believe has been either created or that is featuring children under the age of 13. 
Um, so let's talk about just for a second, like why these like restrictions exist and like what it actually means for the likes of TikTok in, in terms of like how they continue to expand and uh, attract more users. So the reason why social media services um, actually, uh, and I dug into this because I, I had a few questions about these kind of age restrictions. So the reason why they have this like um, 13 year old like age limit, um, it's part of a law, uh, the copper law, it's the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, which states that organizations or people operating online services, which obviously includes social media, are not allowed to collect personal information from anyone under the age of 13. Um, <clears throat> and to avoid the necessity of obtaining parental permission for any user under the age of 13, most services have instead chosen to place an age restriction on these services, which they obviously write into their terms and conditions. And as we've talked about previously on this podcast, simply agreeing to the terms of service and stating that you're not um, under age while signing up to these social media platforms is like it's like the equivalent of um, uh, using like a fake student ID to like buy alcohol so while the platforms are of course abiding by the law clearly this will do nothing to prevent underage people from actually signing up and I've read like countless um, articles about around this that talks about how parents are actually complicit in actually getting their kids to sign on to these platforms. And the reason is because the kids are under so much pressure from their peers to be on these platforms. And if you're not on the platform, you're not like, you know, you're not part of the kind of the peer group, which is also like hugely problematic. So here's a crazy stat of, of the t of, of um, 10 year old girls with smartphones in the US, 70% are on TikTok, uh, according to some new data from 70. Germany. 70, 700 of 10-year-old girls are on the app, according to, according to Jiminy, which is an app for parents that track smartphone habits of their children. Um, so the final thing I'm just going to say on this is that, uh, according to TikTok's chief executive, they're working very, very hard to kind of combat this and to address this as an issue. They're actually using AI to, uh, and they're using facial recognition technology to be able to detect whether someone's underage or not, which creepy. is very creepy and a little suspect, and as it turns out, not very um, accurate, according to some of the things that I've read. Is that because you did it and it told you you were 10 years older than you are? <laughs> it booted me off the platform for being too old. Yeah. You're even I older mean, than what look, they want. My, yeah. <laughs> my username is Doobie Dan, so if that doesn't give it away, I don't know what um, is or what, what does. So anyway, the final thing, just to wrap this up. Um, so they're obviously trying to boot young people off the platform while simultaneously trying to attract older people. In 2019, the TikTok hashtags over 30, over 40, and mums of TikTok were trending uh, in pretty significant ways and accompanying videos about parenting challenges, annoying bosses, and other... Um, um, other th uh, sort of it, it, things related to being like an actual grown-up have become very popular and are starting to really put TikTok on the map among major um, social media players who are of the correct age. Out of interest, right, you said 70% of teens, did you say? Teen yeah. girls. Uh, what percentage of founders of large international conferences are on TikTok? Oh, I mean, it's probably... Hundreds of percent. It's got to be. I mean, you represent at least a hundred percent of that. Yeah, no, I do. I'm yeah. impressed with you. I, uh, you know, the TikTok. Maybe one. Maybe one week we have to do just a full, full podcast five on TikTok. TikTok uh, five TikTok things, right? Because mm. there's so much to dig into, and we don't have time to. Well, do I have it a on question for Dan. I know we have to probably move on, but like you know, TikTok in the context of like the conversations you're having with clients. 
um, and we've talked about this from, from Gray's perspective, and, and, and Kenny has lots to say on the subject, but what, what, where does it sort of feature at the moment, and is it coming up, and is it something that your clients are kind of asking you about? Yeah, it comes up in the fact that where people go, and especially young people, is clearly an area where advertisers want to go. Mm -hmm. So in that natural sort of progression, it comes up. Um, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's critical in any means. Obviously, there's always the stunty sort of TikTok mm -hmm. campaign that always will come out or maybe we'll think of or some other gray will think of. Mm -hmm. But it's really in, in that context. It's very topical. Right. It's not, it does, it, it's nowhere near the core of any strategy like some of the other mm. platforms. So maybe until it kind of hits a more older demographic, even right. if people want younger demographic, it doesn't have the legitimacy. And I think, I mean, there's so many things to unpack in there. There's the, the booting young people off and how is that possible? How could that even happen? Should it happen? All that stuff. And then there's the, well, how or will this platform age up well? Mm. Because right now it's very, the, everything they do is geared towards young people. Yeah. Um, that said, if you look at most social platforms, most of them always start young people and this, it naturally goes to old people. Yeah. Will that happen in this case? I don't think though you could, you, if if I was TikTok, and I'm sure they must be thinking in this way, I don't think they should think about following the trend of like Instagram or Facebook as a social media platform and how to age up, because this feels way more closer to a YouTube. There's consumers, yeah. I um, you know, of consumption, there's, there's makers. Yeah. So I think if they think in the terms of that, it is pretty addictive even if you're, Someone no, I, older. I, I think yeah. I think you're absolutely right, and I think you just got to look at the content and how the content is shifting because the user behavior is fairly kind of consistent across the platform. But like one of my favorite accounts on TikTok is absolutely like targeted at people like me, and it's just like this hilarious guy that does like fake sports commentary yeah. um, over the top of like sports action videos, and it's it's. It's just so funny, but it's it's very much kind of catered. and it does to, have like, that type of. I think I believe no matter what age group you come in and you find yourself in a wormhole and you come out like you know how <laughs> yeah, you know no, like twenty thirty minutes later yeah. and you're like where yeah. did I do what it? What, what happened there? Yeah. So it clearly could work, but I don't know if it's positioned properly or how they're gonna what their strategies are to do that. But that that's how I see the evolution of it. And then maybe they can focus on aging up the the creators mm. and is there new types of storytelling that makes more sense for an older creator so it's not just young people doing fun lip servicing thing maybe it's the doobie brothers you know channel that you're clearly having a massive influence on uh, about to break yeah. through by the way i mean maybe you're the answer to this i think it's also interesting though that they're choosing 13 as the age i would be interested to understand a little bit more it's why a, they're doing that and from a reputation perspective compliance thing i think right mm -hmm. uh yeah. which which drives that but what do you mean in terms of you mean in terms of the motivation of that audience or? yeah in terms of like what that age cutoff is where they're saying you know what at this point we feel like most children can use this responsibly we feel comfortable with this I mean from a reputation standpoint they have to be really loud about the fact that they're trying to keep kids off the platform even though as you're saying it's kind of near Impossible. It, it, I mean, just to maybe wrap this segment up, it's more about personal information that isn't necessarily about actually safeguarding the users. So the reason why the COPA Act exists is because they don't want... Um, um, Under 13 years marketed to. Exactly. Um, all right, let's move on to... they've got no money. Yeah, well, <laughs> they, they don't have any control of the money. Yeah. Um, number three is the Moldy Whopper, which has been everywhere... Uh, 
this these last couple weeks. Kirsten. Yes. Um, so to announce the elimination of artificial preservatives by the end of 2020, Burger King unveiled a new preservative-free Whopper. Um, and to showcase this, um, they had it decay over the course of 35 days. Um, so I really like this ad. I mean, I think it's it's super interesting. The last time I had, you know, this level of QSR um, food was actually after the gray Christmas holiday party. What did we eat? I can't remember. Um, I mean... Was it was it healthy? No, Probably it not. wasn't. I mean, I was still hungry, honestly, after <laughs> I left, which is why I went and had some fast food. But, I mean, you can... You can taste the signs when you're eating this. That's part of the fun. Um, it's a really interesting dig at these other, yeah. you know, obviously McDonald's um, that is known for you just being able to leave that stuff out. I mean, you can pick it up weeks later. It's going to taste the same it did when you got it. So there's an interesting what, there's a disclosure we have to make here, which is that gray, the Gray Network was part of this campaign. Part of this work and what's what's interesting and it isn't that point necessarily is that this idea funnily enough uh, apparently was taken to burger king by three different uh three of their different agency partners around a similar time frame so clearly from an insight point of view there's something really prescient about it as an idea which i think why it resonates with us all and what burger king did to their massive credit rather than have them all sort of pitch against each other and allow one person they brought them all together as a team to deliver the the work and the campaign, which this is probably getting a bit too nerdy agency talk, but I think is representative probably of how this industry needs to think more often in terms of partnering with. And maybe it's a perfect segue into why we have our you know our friend Dan here from Code and Theory, another fantastic agency. That I think coming together creatively mm. more often than not is going to be a more powerful way of bringing great work to market. So it's a little bit of a divergence from the actual. No, I, I, I think it's great. I'll say one thing, but Dan will probably have much more to to to, to talk about. I mean, I think we're we're in the me when you look at the media landscape right now, it's obviously tough to break through. Um, you know, it's particularly hard, I think, for brands in regards to like social to sort of be thinking about like how do we how do we achieve any amount of like organic earned attention, um, and so these types of bold creative ideas breakthrough because you know people a care like actually genuinely care about the quality of the food that they consume and it's probably one of the most topical things right now and will pay attention um when when an idea feels um not just creative but also risky mm -hmm. and i think that's why i personally just think it's just such a phenomenal campaign but that yeah i mean i think this is what Burger King does well, and uh, we don't work with Burger King now, but we did for several years. Yeah. And it was a very similar framework, like Proud Whopper we were part of, and it was sort of like this agency jump ball, and everybody pitched and did what they did well. And it kind of, it worked really well. Yeah. And Burger King has always been good at doing these earned media things. You know, yeah. occasionally maybe they fail, but for the most part, right. they do well, and how can you argue with yeah. this one? It's, it's, it's honest, it's what you want companies to be right now, and... Yeah talks about the attributes of the product. Yeah. Kirsten, can, can I pick your brains as a PR, ex a PR expert here? Absolutely. When it, when it comes to the earned piece that, that Dan just referenced, the ability for this, which I think started as an out-of-home experience in Scandinavia, when you think about how that is delivered globally now, which it is, how key is having this sort of content for, uh, for a powerful approach to PR? Um, I mean, it's it's definitely very key. I mean, it's it's completely opposite 
of what any of their competitors are doing right now. Um, and it's it's a bit risky. I'm sure there's a lot of people for to read all of the earned media coverage about this um, that still really don't believe it right. and are, you know, kind of trying to call their bluff a bit. But I think it does also have the ability to maybe convince some of the media outlets that usually are looking at this as, as something that you know, isn't something that they would want to eat or that their audience eats. And I think this kind of gives people a get-out-of-jail-free card to maybe go eat there in, in a way that they hadn't before. And I don't think that it's something that alienates people that already enjoy it. Even if it grosses you out, you're just going to still eat there anyway. Oh, I can't wait for the preservative-free Whopper. I feel like if they're going to... We'll, we'll end this one, but I feel like if they're going to take this beyond just being a smart campaign... And there's nothing, no discredit in that. It is a very smart campaign. They probably have to start putting a stake in the ground around the backstory behind preservatives and why they stand for these things and how their supply chain supports it. And probably, I think perhaps uh, tie more into how their products end up looking like this, um, so they have a more sustainable story behind this. Yeah. So similar to the old Chipotle. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's a, that's a great analog. Um, all right. Thanks, Kristen. So number four is actually me again. I'm sorry you're hearing my voice so frequently this week. Um, Unless that's what you tune in for, there's a good chance actually that's what they tune in for, isn't well, it? When as you, you know, our, our, listener, our, our listener, our single listener is your mum. Yeah. So it's the only way. That it's the only she time she hears from me, honestly, exactly. week to week. Uh, number four is Shopify uh, deciding they're going to support the Libra cryptocurrency. There's quite a lot in this one, uh, and, and I don't know if we'll get into all of the uh, details of it. But frankly, I think if you think about um, uh, where the Libra currency has been go going. Recently, and there's been some negative headlines around some of its core partners pulling out uh, of their partnership with them. It probably represents an opportunity for Libra to uh, shine a new light on new and relevant and important partners. Now, now that's the Libra side of it, which is potentially a bit less interesting than what it means for Shopify in terms of them supporting uh, the Libra cryptocurrency. Shopify, since its launch, its stock has gone up 1,800%, uh, which is vast obviously it's about 520 bucks now um what i think this represents probably for shopify is ability to put a new headline out there the ability to continue to drive interest in the company which is a great company uh and find new news right so if you think about shopify as a as a as a brand as a company as a business looking to grow new users what this represents is probably an opportunity for them to speak in new ways about uh new opportunities for their users to uh, operate financially in more transparent ways. So there's there are some actual fundamental uh, sort of business opportunities here, I think, for both sides of this equation, beyond just the headlines. Uh, I think it's most interesting probably for Shopify in this case. Um, but nonetheless, it's, uh, well, given it's a, it's a sign of Libra's continued sort of uh, trajectory, I suspect. G given Shopify's growth, although their stock is hanking right now so I'm just how much is it down um like quite a lot i'm always loath to look at your computer screen as we've discussed in previous podcasts so perhaps you can just it's down almost 10 percent today which yeah. is i don't know why so maybe it's tied to this but let's let's just assume that it's not <laughs> and and um what, what's key th here is that libra is obviously having a, has had a bit of a challenge in terms of gaining kind of traction and legitimacy there is its association it's like potential toxic association to kind of facebook which can't help in the current kind of climate um shopify's been on a tear 
Um, so this lends quite a lot of legitimacy to Libra, and that's kind of hugely important for Facebook. So I'm sure behind the scenes they've been working very hard to make this happen. So I do think it's you know it's um, it's a very meaningful kind of forward step for the Libra um, for the Libra Association. Should we run out and buy some Shopify then? Um, well, yeah, I just did just before they tanked, which is great. Um, using my public app. Hi, Katie. That's a that's a that's a plug for a previous guest, Dan. Just so you nice. know. Nice. Yeah, we we're, we're big on inside jokes here. Okay. Just to really great. make our guests feel well, comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get a couple inside ones. Yeah, we, we, in yeah. future episodes yeah. though, so yeah. you got to keep listening. Um, all right, so let's move on. We're on uh, number five already. Yeah. Wow, we got through those, and that's how bad Dan is going to talk to us about Snapchat launching here for you. Okay, so let me tell you what happened here. Snapchat has launched Here For You, a new offering to provide resources and start important conversations around mental health. The process works by linking users to a special section within Snapchat's search results when they search criteria indicating their need for support around issues like anxiety, depression, stress, grief, suicidal thoughts, and bullying. Um, what this means, according to the announcement, proactive in-app support is just one step towards uh, what will be a, a bigger health and wellness push for Snapchat, according to them, to be rolled out over the next few months. Um, this is the latest move as social platforms uh, take responsibility for mental uh, health issues. I mean, I think this one's really interesting. I mean, th this one can we could spend all day talking about, really, because obviously mental uh, health is an important aspect of social media. I mean, a couple stats about two billion people now use social media worldwide. Of active users, they're spending about five hours or just less than five hours a day, which means a third of their day they're engaging. Um, and there's a stat around 2.7 times more likely to be depressed uh, than who don't use it that much. Um, so clearly there's some linking here. If there's three times more likely to be depressed or have some sort of mental issue because of social media. Um, so. Look, the good here is any step forward that at least even talks about it, I think is a step forward because clearly we're at only at the beginning. First, I believe we're still at the only beginning of social media in its maturity of how it means to society mm. and clearly mental health. And more specifically, we're just trying to understand really the impacts of, of why and how. So it's good that they're doing something. It's good they're building awareness. From what, when I read the press release, my understanding they're doing it in two ways. One is the search way where you actively are saying, hey, I have some mental problem um, and they're going to give you content. That feels a very traditional way to address this. This reminds me of like, you know, PSAs in like the 80s and 90s about, oh, you know, alcohol or smoking is bad for you. So I don't know how effective that is. Uh, again, something's better than nothing. They talk also about how there's gonna be quizzes and filters that tie into this. I'm not exactly sure what that means or how it works. To me, that's a step in the real right direction of if we get to the heart of the behaviors within social platforms to address it, you're going to touch it uh, a little more closely. Right. Um, the thing I'm concerned, not concerned about, uh, skeptical is, is this some group within Snapchat that is tasked with helping mental issues versus is this really in the DNA of Snapchat and making t mental health uh, a stakeholder in making business decisions. I don't know which one it is because I'm not there, but for it to really happen, it needs to be there. And uh, Toby, obviously I've been involved with you within Empathy Week and Empathy Day talking about really the heart of mental health revolves around empathy, mm. you know, a true understanding of one's feelings. Um, and I'm not sure this really touches on it. Again, we'll see with filters, um, but really there's still uh, a problem or disconnect between 
the business goals of a social media network mm. uh, and mental health. And I'm, I'm an optimist to believe that maybe there can be a capitalistic idea where you can make money off doing good around mental health and that could be tied in. But from day to day, whether it be Snapchat or some of these other social networks, I don't really see interaction behaviors focused on uh, the ability to help empathy, which will be the long haul to solve mental health. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I think there's a couple of really important things here. First of all, um, I think we have to be very careful. Um, I mean, in the media, they will have you believe that there is a causal kind of effect um, in regards to the amount in which you use social media and the extent to which you suffer from kind of like mental health um, issues. Um, th that has been debunked enough times now for us to kind of like have to be very cautious, I think, in, in creating that kind of like causal like relationship. Um, so that's kind of like one aspect but of it. I just want to interject. Clearly, it doesn't make you necessarily depressed. You're depressed. But it's similar to like alcohol. If you're depressed and then have alcohol, it mm -hmm. exacerbates the situation. 100%. I think that's really the heart of it exactly. around that. Yeah, I, I, to I totally agree. And, and I think it also speaks to the reason why we need to be very careful about when we're talking about like digital addiction. Yes. Addiction is a pathology. It only affects like less than 5% of the population. You're not addicted. You're just using it too much. Um, and that obviously has can, can have negative benefits. So I think to your point, though, what, what the platforms are doing, and they're all doing it in their own sort of various different ways, is they're trying to put in safeguards um, um, to create environments that are um, promoting empathy, compassion, kindness, positivity on the internet. And that's hugely important, and we need to put as much kind of time and resource behind accelerating kind of those programs and accelerating the kind of the improvements that they're looking to make to um, these different platforms. But I think your most important point is like we also have to just spend more time with particularly young people who are onboarding to social media for the first time or who are navigating this space and providing them with the tools and the skills that they need to be able to interact and engage and communicate within these environments in both responsible ways and most importantly with empathy. So I was reading in, in doing my research for this uh, that something like 50% of uh, teens report being bullied online specifically. Now I don't know how it relates to being bullied generally. I'm sure the numbers probably been the same since you know since I was a a kid or we were kids. Um, however, what I do like, and we've spoken about this in the past, this, this mental health piece, uh, what I do like is the, the, the fact that they've embedded it immediately in that search function, right? So they've taken it to the core of the product. So I like that. Uh, I like the way it shows up on the product. I also like the fact that it provides the opportunity, not only th they, they do have a lightweight approach, which is the sort of quizzes and knowledge piece, but they also provide the opportunity for um, these kids to link out to local mental health expert, yeah. local human beings, yeah. right? So what I like, and and Dan, just so you know, we're usually pretty critical about this stuff on this yeah. podcast, but what I, what I like is there's an off-ramp to sort of humanity. Agreed. Yeah. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of that. Um, I think actually, do I, I yeah. have something, because I, I do think that's like a super important point. When we think about the problem and and whether social media is as a as an exasperator of the problem, which we think it probably is, um, we can simultaneously also think about social media and technology in general being part of the solution and, and not just to kind of like offset um, the problem but actually start to kind of like really help people um, beyond their use of social media but actually in their real lives. And these tools and these technologies, these potential solutions could over time, because it's still super early, 
actually impact the problem in a really important way. I think we need to be patient. I think it's going to take time. Um, and I think Dan's point is a, a, su a superb one, which is that we're still very much at the beginning of all of all this. Yeah. Um, this was a good one, guys. We're going to wrap it up. I appreciate Kirsten, thank you for coming in and, and spending time with us. Thanks uh, for having me. Dan, thanks for coming up all the way from downtown. It's, it's a big trip. Well, yeah, it's, it's a long it. trip. Don't yeah. worry, we've got a show for Driven Cars. Okay, thank, thank you. you I appreciate That's how Grey rolls here. That's how we roll, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we'd love to have you back. Um, thanks for coming in. Toby, thanks as always for coming in today, mate. Uh, thank you for listening, and uh, that's going to do it for today. We will see you next week on Five Things. The Five Things is produced by Andrew Petit, Grace McDougall, Joey Scarillo, John Dillon, and Al Manorino, and recorded at Townhouse Studios. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Social Media Week is a leading conference and industry news platform that curates and shares insights, emerging trends, and best practices with the world's smartest digital marketers. Gray is the exclusive global creative insights partner for Social Media Week. Check out more at gray.com.